Are you ready to manage your work and personal world better to live a fulfilling, productive life? Then you've come to the right place. Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Here are your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks. Welcome back, everybody, to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. I'm Augusto Pinot. I'm Francis Wade. And I'm Mark Gelwicks. Welcome, gentlemen, and welcome to our listeners. Today, we are going to be talking about Francis's second edition of his book. Basically, we're going to talk a little bit about the ability for us to be able to do something that I think is really interesting related to Francis's book, Perfect Time-Based Productivity. So, Francis, do you want to tell us a little bit about your book, first of all, and then give us a bit of a preamble in terms of what we're discussing today on this cast. Sure, sure. One of the core ideas, which I've sort of ran into by mistake, because I always thought there was a perfect kind of set of behaviors out there then, and you just needed to learn them from somebody who was really smart. That was my original thought. But I discovered that through through leading courses that people already came into the programs with habits and practices they were already using tools. They already have something in place. So I did a little bit of digging to the research and found out that they actually developed these behaviors starting from adolescence and going all the way into early adulthood. Specifically, I'm talking about task management behaviors. So they start to make tasks in their mind. It's a psychological process. Some people transition into making lists. Some start to use paper. Some migrate from using memory. But anyway, by the time they hit 25, let's say, and they walk into a time management program or they pick up a a book, these behaviors are already in place. And the the research supports it to to a great degree. But the training that we offer on a whole doesn't support it. On a whole, the training we offer says, here's something you don't know anything about. But what really happens, from my opinion, is that the learner sits there reading or listening and says, hey, I'm already doing half of this stuff. So in their mind, they're having to say, huh, hold on a minute. They're going through a self-evaluation because it's not like they're learning advanced trigonometry, which they don't have any clue about. They're learning about task management, which is something that they've done ever since they first heard the concept of time, which was about 10 years old. So we don't give a, we don't tell them this usually. They have to discover it on their own, but they're sort of left sitting in their, their courses and or training wondering, huh, I already do that, huh? So they're doing their own ad hoc self-evaluation. And my book says, essentially, instead of doing an ad hoc self-evaluation, let me teach you how to do one on your own without my being there at all. So just follow this process and you'll be doing a self-evaluation. But let me stop there and and validate that idea of doing a self-evaluation that people do that with you guys before I go on to the next piece. I agree to a certain extent that yeah, and and even I don't know if 25 is even the age where 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 those problems start. You know, when you look at, you know in the United States specifically, how certain basic things has been eliminated from the curriculum. Okay, that you have people who go to college who don't know the most basic stuff. Forget about complex stuff as time management. We're talking about the basics to fix anything. You know, I, you can see, you know, see friends and customers who, and client and coaching clients who are now struggling with their kids going to college that don't know the most basic things, you know, and they're wondering if they should have teach them and 
how they learn it and say, well, I learned some of that at school. I learned some of that. And the basic skills are not there. And they are coming to that 25. And there is really not an easy place to find where and how to learn those basic skills. Yeah, for, for, for example, I've met CEOs who still try to manage all their tasks using memory. And it's not as if they aren't smart people. They're usually really smart, at least book smart and business smart. But the idea, the basic idea that we, you know, the four of us ascribe to, which is that memory is a bad place to keep your tasks, is something that they've never heard. They literally don't know any better. So to back up what Augusta is saying, people fumble, stumble all their way into their 20s or even beyond and they don't even know that they're fumble stumbling. They're just, they've just made something up and they're trying to make it work as hard as they can. As one woman put it to me, and of course, she had, she thought that she needed to manage all her tasks in her memory because that was a sign of being productive. And writing anything down was like a sign of weakness. Well, by the end of the course, she, you know, she got the opposite, <laughs> opposite story. But to back up what Augusta is saying, you know, the, the software doesn't help you understand that. The, the, we, in a prior episode, we talked about the apps that are on your phone. They don't give a hint that you should be managing tasks the way they used to back when we were picking up the first PDAs. So there's nothing in their environment that is saying, nudging you in the right direction. You're on your own. So my only curiosity is that as I think about my own experience in learning time management and task management together, they, they really were a combined experience. I can't parse apart having learned one separately from the other as a as an adolescent the whole notion of managing to be more efficient and effective even though i didn't have those terms was something that was very appealing to me and so i imagine that there are people out there who naturally gravitate toward order and there are people who probably don't and you're listening to us if you probably gravitate toward order or you recognize that you you gravitate toward maybe chaos and you know that you need that order. So we all share an experience where we're in we're, we're consistently focused on that and our development led us to that point whether either way, right? So the the goal for us is to figure out from adolescence to adulthood and it's pretty interesting that you talk about the kind of around the age of 25 because um, our brains develop our bodies develop actually up until that point until the age of 24 ish uh, people are still developing and so the the maturation of the human of you know human development is very slow you know 24 years before a human is fully developed is a pretty you know uh, long time of period of time. And so I just think that at each stage of education, we're somewhat failing our all of civilization if we're not teaching them the right time management, the right task management, the right goal management, whether that be projects or otherwise, at the at the stage in which they are at. And so I'd be curious, like in uh, going back to my adolescence, again, you know, in essence, they would just hand you your assignment and go and say, go home and do this assignment. And so you had a had a, a series of worksheets or a series of books that you took home, and each of those represented a few of those things. Maybe a teacher would send home a list of assignments. I, I know I didn't get that, but I know that there there are teachers who do that. And then we get up into 
you know, uh, upper primary school, secondary school, uh, you know, and, and in those environments, then you get uh, more and more responsibility to manage those things. And so, Francis, from my perspective, what do you think is the difference between the way in which we educate kids kind of, you know, as a whole, because obviously all of us have had different educational experiences, um, you know, but the but does that impact the way in which the adult then comes out on the other side, say after post-secondary school, and how they approach wanting to learn about productivity, and therefore their their terminal success in achieving some level of a productivity system that works for them. I've seen a little bit of training offered here and there to the high school level. It's totally ad hoc. It's not very modern. It's anecdotal. It's nothing I could hang a hat on. Um, what I can what I can say with a little bit of certainty is that those those students who are more diligent, those who are more nerdy, perhaps sometimes, got people like us <laughs> are more likely to gravitate towards productivity tools. But I, and I think it's because they just take on a, a series of demands on their time. Like the kid who you know the kid who is a world class ice skater at age fourteen or a world class gymnast is is gonna have a particular kind of life that is full of full of demands on her, his or her time. And they've got to either have someone in their life who is telling them what to do, which works up to a particular point. But many of them, from what I can understand, from what I've read of their biographies, many of them push themselves and they become world class because they push themselves. And the pushing causes them to add more than 168 hours of tasks of of tasks per week. So in other words, they're having they're they're pushing themselves to have to not use memory. And are they taught not to do that? I I can find no evidence that even the gymnasts, the world class athletes who have to do this at a young age are taught how to do it. I don't I don't see I haven't found I hope there is, but I haven't found any evidence myself. I think it's still left up to them and it's left up to chance. And if they're lucky, they develop the skills on their own. If they're not so lucky, someone manages them. If they're terribly unlucky, they end up failing. And I think that's just the brutal truth of it. Well, I think for, I mean, using the athlete analogy here, I think a lot of that is imposed on them, the structures provided by coaches and by other people who are trying to guide them along that because there is kind of a proven path in many cases as to doing these things, you will get better at such and such a thing. Uh, with outside something like an organized sport, that I think you're absolutely right. This is where people are where, and I hate to use the term kids, but young adults are kind of left by the wayside on this. And they suffer for that, not only through high school, but also through their sec- through college. And as soon as they get into the workplace and remain in the workplace, often these are skills that are never developed. It's a constant effort to try, but that window of opportunity to turn what would be an incremental skill into a permanent habit has been missed, I think, in a lot of cases. Yeah, there's some some evidence, some interesting evidence of that. You guys watched um, Last Chance You on Netflix? No, what's that? It's a uh, it, it's it's been around for four seasons now. But what they do is they they they've been to two junior colleges and they track the students through the course of one season. Students playing on a football team. So that these these because of the nature of junior college football, they tend to be dropouts from from four year colleges. 
who ran into some academic trouble or legal trouble or whatever trouble they ran into, but they got cut. And their, their last chance is to join one of these junior college teams and therefore get back into college level football. So these are, are extremely talented football players. They're all in the age range of 19, 20, 21, 22, that range. So they, they, and they're taking a, a, a full course load. And of course, they're playing football. And their schedules are, as you can imagine, ridiculous. So they're, they're beyond the age of the gymnast who has everyone telling them what to do. You know, there's 60, 70 guys on a roster, I get 80 guys. And they're left to their own devices for the most part, except for the times when they need to spend training. So what, what you see happening is that teachers and guidance counselors running after these 20 year olds to tell them to study. I mean, literally going into their dorm or setting office hours and go, going through every class over and over again, because these guys don't have the skills that we're talking about to schedule their own time. Some do, some make it, but for the most part, you know what the odds are at this point. The odds are that these guys are one in a hundred might make the NFL. And by and large, they're left usually not graduating, not managing their time well. It impacts their performance on the field. They become ineligible. So anyway, it's a great series. I recommend it highly. But, you know, be prepared to watch it and wince because you're seeing these kids essentially go down a path that they're not going to succeed on. It's really sort of heartbreaking. My daughter was a college soccer player for a number of years. And one of the things they did as part of the requirement of the soccer team is they had scheduled study time. The team, you had to put in five hours of dedicated study time each week if you were going to be on the team. Uh, football had the same thing, and it varies from school to school. That was their answer to making sure that the student athletes put aside time for their studies. Here's the problem. That's just an open block of time. Nowhere in that is it reinforcing the skills that are necessary to use that time effectively. Now, the argument can be made that at the college level, they should have those skills. Okay, let's back it up then. In high school, are those skills being developed? Well, yes and no. They're developing skill sets to help them meet the specific requirements of the academic environment, but not life in general. And where I, I can't really fault anybody, it's just this self-fulfilling prophecy because most of the people, teachers specifically, who have to try and teach these students these kinds of skills were never taught those skills in the first place. And it's not part of their curriculum. They're tasked to teach a curriculum and deliver it and make sure that the students understand and comprehend. Nowhere in that curriculum, unless a school has specifically dedicated a class to study and good habit skills, which is almost unheard of, it's, it's a secondary thing. And I think I look at it from the corporate world where I'm looking at people who, you know, they have MBAs, some have doctorates, uh, incredibly smart people who cannot manage day-to-day -day tasks, who cannot deliver things on time, who cannot estimate the amount of work necessary to complete a particular effort. And those are just basic mechanical things that you need, whether it's at work or at home. And I'm just I'm really, I don't want to say disheartened, but this is a continuing thing. This is not getting any better. So the question I have is, how does it get better? How do we start to change the direction of this boat? I, I could jump in there because it's a good point to transition to the solution set because the, the, 
if you've ever heard of the NFL Combine, you you guys aware of the the, the, the test that they go through, the, the would-be draft picks. So they go through, I, I watched a couple of shows on this, they go through the most rigorous evaluation of their skills in multiple dimensions. Maybe I think, I don't, I don't know the number, maybe 10, 20 different attributes, how fast they are, how well they catch while on the run, how well they, depending on the position. And they test them in all these finite, minute um, areas of capability. And what comes out at the end is a report that either highlights their, well, it highlights their weaknesses, but it also signals that this person is a great potential pick for the NFL. So it's a huge opportunity to evaluate. Now, that evaluation is not done by the individual. It's done by the combine. But the effect is the same, which is that some people come out of the combine and realize that they're too weak, for example, at their sprinting. So for the next year, they go work on their sprinting. And then they come back and their sprinting is better. And then they get into the NFL. But the point is that the, the evaluation that's done of at the NFL combine is extremely sophisticated. So compare that against the, the evaluation that Art is saying is totally missing, which is we don't have a way as a society to help working people do any kind of evaluation. There's nothing like the NFL combine. There's nothing other than, you know, the little 10-point test that, you know, you might do to find out am I this type, that type, or the other type. There's nothing rigorous around the productivity skills that all of us use that approaches anything like the NFL combine. And that's, that's, that's why I thought we should, we, we would, we could get to today, which is what's, what would an evaluation tool, an NFL combine for the individual, what would that look like? If we could take anyone who is 25 who says, Oh, let me read a productivity book or let me get interested in being more productive or let me get married and Oh my goodness, I just had triplets. I know I have a new job and now I have a house and now I'm getting overwhelmed. How do we help someone to evaluate their skills and therefore decide which one to work on next? Because that's that's the funnel that everybody art described goes through. And the point that many, not everybody, but everyone, most people get to at some point, they ask, how could I do this better? And they don't have anything to work with. I would start with a step back from maybe some of the more practical components. And not to say that this isn't practical, but I would really look at the work of Dr. Howard Gardner. Uh, he's a longtime professor at University of Pennsylvania, I believe it is, and his research on this, uh, on the identification of multiple intelligences. And what I really, you know, when I think of productivity, I think of a, about how multidimensional it is. And frequently what we do is we try to give behavioral interventions, that is, tell people to do certain things that are counter to the way in which they already operate. And so it ends up being a square peg in a round hole. And we just try to jam as many people into that combination as possible. And it ultimately means that they're going up a, you know, walking uphill, and it, the uphill battle has a tendency to fail for them. And so Dr. Gardner categorizes intelligence into six different categories. Today, we, we have the popular psychology that talks about, you know, your normal IQ, and then, you, you know, emotional intelligence and social intelligence from Dr. Daniel Goleman's work, uh, and, and not his work, but his, his really 
proliferating of the message of that work. But Dr. Gardner discusses six different types of intelligence. So he talks about visual spatial, linguistic verbal, uh, interpersonal, intrapersonal, which is where maybe emotional and social intelligence fits, logical, mathematical, musical, a kinesthetic or bodily intelligence, and then naturalistic intelligence, uh, being able to be in touch with uh, nature and, and be out there and kind of the outdoorsy stuff. Um, and so I would start with that, like figure out what and where people have natural inclinations toward things, and that will give us the skills that they are most naturally attuned to have. And those development of those skills in line with their time, team, task, and project management then becomes easier. What, what if there's a like a task management intelligence? That seems to me like, a, a, like orthogonal to the ones you mentioned. But it's its own intelligence, maybe. I worry about the terminology we're using because we've already gone really deep on some heavy psychological terminology, and we know that's what scares people off a lot of times. I, I'm just concerned that we haven't started at a high enough level to get somebody into this. I mean, if if we were talking about you know the NFL Combine, the, you're not going to start with what's the person's vertical jump height? I mean, there's that's a nice thing, but if he's an offensive lineman, his vertical jump height is really kind of irrelevant. But it's a factor. Can we start this at a higher level? I'm not going to go into a diatribe with a, a, a middle schooler or a, a high schooler on multiple intelligences, but it might be helpful to have some kind of assessment to be able to figure out the quotient of their specific intelligence. And that means that we not only need to sort people through that assessment, and then we can start to figure out what the right mechanism for being able to help them is. I, I don't think it's about getting too esoteric. Yeah, but it, we keep throwing out the word intelligence. And I'm challenged to think that productivity and intelligence have a direct correlation and i don't think they do and i'm not saying that we i'm not saying that we stay in intelligence i'm just saying that we start there okay yeah i can i'll i'll buy that <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at a, a page here um at infed.org I'll, I'll put this link in the show notes but it, it, it talks about the different intelligences and it's pretty it's pretty interesting um i'm thinking okay i could see where Different ones apply to different people, but if there if there is a such a thing as task task intelligence, then I would argue that it applies to every that one applies to everyone because everyone creates tasks in every area of their endeavors, and they struggle to they have to find a way they have to create a way for themselves to manage tasks that they can't complete immediately. So every every human being who is every adult of who is functional has that channel challenge and some do it some do it better than others so it strikes me as its own kind of area which is what kind of what my book was not reading this description my book was really about task task intelligence let's call it that and because we arrive at our own solutions pretty much for the most part um and 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 lack lack basic guidance we end up creating something that is kind of kind of works sometimes when we're younger but then when we get older we run into problems because the number of tasks gets to be too high and then we need to climb this 
ladder to a higher level of capability, but we don't have the wherewithal to do it on our own. That's the that's the sort of frame the challenge in terms of an intelligence. That's the, maybe what I'm getting from what I'm reading here, Ray. From my perspective, if we look at this from all of the base level components of a human, right, and and intelligence is just one of them. I'm just saying, I, and and my argument here is that I think we look at intelligence as being a very narrow band of the logical, rational brain. And we test people based on that. And there's a lot of biases built into that. If we look at it from a more holistic perspective, there are components about our, the emotional landscape of the of the individual. Uh, for example, I was a very emotional young person and uh, just very emotional and uh, and for whatever reason. And, and, uh, and so I grew out of that. But if, if there was a way to understand that about a child at that age, then there may have been better interventions for me to be able to deal with those kinds of things um, in, in many different arenas. But then we can translate that forward to thinking about, okay, well, not just intelligence as being a component, but we can look at the way in which a child experiences the world in different, different value systems, right? So they have values about uh, their favorite color or uh, the you know other kinds of sensory experience. So if they have if we can teach them across all of those intelligences, even if they may have a specific one that they're talented in, but then say, okay, well, what's their sensory experience? Uh, what's their seasonal experience? That is, we have typically four seasons on the planet in in our various hemispheres, and it, teaching just seasons to kids gives them an understanding of the progression of time and being able to start to understand what you call time demands in your book, Francis, on a, on a more macro level and gives them the ability to start chunking down into saying, okay, well, typically, you know, if I start school in the fall, then these things happen in a concentrated space in the fall. And now we get a better understanding of the child and how they manage on these kinds of macro level, you know, time chunking and then working our way down. There is a, another study that I want to bring to, and I have bring this study many times, that is a Carl Dweck work on fixed as well as grow mindset. And I think it's relevant to all this because as we all agree on the different kind of intelligence, I think also apply not only to that intelligence, but maybe even as a precursor, what kind of mindset you have regarding a stuff. You know, if you think, well, this is what I have, you know, and this is all that I have and there is nothing I can do about it. That is bad definition of the fixed mindset or no, I can learn and improve on any or almost any skill that I have over time. That is the premise of the grow mindset. And I think it's really relevant to this because doesn't if you are not able to see those things, then you are not able to identify the kind of intelligence. You know, when Francis was early saying, or, or Francis Art was talking about the CEO who is using the memory, well, that goes to that. Many, I I have worked with clients that when you tell them, okay, let's do, you know, let's stop using the mind and let's stop, you know, start creating a system. They look at you and say, I don't need a system. And when you look at them and say, what do you mean you don't need a system? They told you, oh, I've been doing this like this for 30 years. I understand, but you're struggling. Well, it doesn't matter. I need to do it the way I've been doing it for 30 years. And I think those people are not even able to get to the more deep discussion about the kind of 
intelligence, they are even a stuck a step early on the kind of mindset in the, which they use to approach life. And that is a really big, big problem. Now, do you think that they are saying they don't need a system because they honestly believe that fact? Or inside, they're saying to themselves that I don't know where to start on a new system, so I feel safer sticking with the one that I've been using. There is both, actually. I have people who have exactly what you describe, that fear of, okay, what if, or I don't have the time, or I don't have the bandwidth, and therefore I should not do, okay? There is that. But there is also a big percentage of people, especially, and, and the difference goes into where are you into that fixed or uh, grow mindset. If you are a fixed mindset, it's not about fear. It's not. You don't think you need it. Okay, you have done it, and this is what you have because you can improve. Okay, the fear it's existing on people who believe can change, but they don't know where to start. But it goes back to 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 that. Where where are you? You know, if I ask the four of us, if you have a fixed or grow mindset, I will get a hundred percent response. Okay, but I work with clients who the first work even before we go into try to improve or do anything is to get them to see that they are acting on a fixed mindset and they need to change it because before that there is no opportunity to improve will happen doesn't matter if you have 25 or you have 40 or 60 as a ceo it's exactly the same this is the way we have done it this is the way we have done it for years and there is no other way it can be done. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. And I've run into I've run into both types as well. But once you get past the the conversion from a fixed to a growth mindset, um, the the tools still seem lacking. And I think this is somewhat true for any intelligence. I think a long time ago it used to be the case that you give someone a coach and the coach would tell you, here's what I need to do, or here's what you need to do. And I think that's evolved over time to where we have I would call it remote coaching, where you don't have to be there with the person in, you know, right in front of them to tell them what to do. The, the, the learner is motivated enough to be able to follow your path. And I think it's ultimately going to get to the point where, where some coaches want to get, which is that you eliminate the coach altogether and the person self-coaches. And that's the, 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 the question I'm, I'm asking with respect to what I'd said. What I said in the beginning was, would be this kind of automation or self-evaluation if someone wants to self-coach and wants to start with a self-evaluation, and I think this is true of task management, but I think it's true of everything, including football, for that matter. What's the what's the method of giving someone the ability to evaluate their own skills so that they can then improve? Assuming, of course, the, the, the growth mindset. If we assume that growth mindset, the first part, I, it's possible to self-coach. Hey, we have four examples in here. Okay, we have been working into productivity with and without coaches for many, many years. So we have, in a way, self-coached ourselves to that process. That's great. But the first is understand the where you are going and how things have changed. I agree with there is a, there is a significant change and technology has created this massive change on a speed that for most people, you know, it's, it's not even acceptable yet. If you think about it, if you look on the technological evolution of the phone, okay? The, from 2008 or 2006 to 2009, okay? That's 13 years, okay? And the phone, as we understood, we were the first generation who used phones, okay? I, I remember when the first Motorola came out, 
Okay, same as you guys, even if you guys deny it. Okay, but that was a tool, and it was a tool that could do one thing. Okay, kids now are coming, or the younger generations are coming, okay, with a tool that can do more than what my first computer could do. Forget about the first laptop, the first desktop, okay? And with that has changed everything, has changed what the work, what the kind of work, how you approach the work, what your requirements are for work. Think about it in a management level, okay? Forget about the CEO, go three or four levels down to the general manager. What that general manager do today, it's really different to what a general manager did 10 years ago. 10 years ago, he this person's job was to manage the work. Today, this person needs to manage the work plus do some work plus more. So unless you have a clear understanding of all those elements, you are in trouble. Not only that, the boundaries used to be significantly clear. Hey, you do A, B, and C, and then after that, you pass it to person B who will do D, E, and F, and then you pass it to the next. Now, you may do A and C, but in order to do C, you need to wait for the next person to do B, okay? And I understand sounds complicated. It is complicated, okay? And some of those steps take seconds. The problem is not everybody has seen the evolution. Hey, look at this, okay? It was not so long ago that what we are doing right now, okay, was a massive technology challenge, okay? We are recording a podcast from four locations every week, okay? It sounds possible, okay? But 20 years ago, that was not even something that we could put in the dream. The evolution of the technology has come at such a level of speed that I think for most people has just passed them through. That is in part what brings the problem you were mentioning at the beginning, Francis, okay? And it's not necessarily a problem on where are those tools. The problem is the evolution of these tools has come so fast that people not necessarily are aware where to start or even if the tool exists. So what what would we do beyond just kind of recognizing the context of what needs to happen? That is, what I'm hearing is some level of assessment needs to be done. And then once that assessment is done, then we need to do something beyond that. What's the beyond that for helping someone understand? I mean, if we can go through, if we can go through and help people think about what they're strong at accomplishing and what they're weak at accomplishing at a at the highest generic level, sans tool. Move away from the tech aspect of it, and just if you're going to do it with pen and post-it note, you know what what are you really good at, and where your weaknesses are, and then define around strengthening those weaknesses. That I think goes a huge step in helping people start to develop that framework. I mean, at, at its most basic, I start these conversations with a question: What's your success criteria? When you finish this thing. How do you know you were successful? Now, usually that's on larger things, but that can be something as simple as taking out the trash. How do you know you were successful? The trash is at the curb. It sounds mundane, but it's defining the accomplishment, the execution, the steps, and the initial starting place. And that's where, that's where we can help people start to understand this. Uh, Francis, you were talking earlier about how to quantify this thing. And all I could think about is, Every book in the self-help productivity section at the bookstore has this exact same little skinny chapter at the beginning talking about knowing what you need to do, and the entire rest of the book is trying to sell you a process 
on how to accomplish that. I think that needs to be reversed. Ooh, that's that's juicy. I, I ooh, I, you know, I actually have a, a, a live example of what we're talking about, which I just realized as we were talking. I, I didn't even. I didn't even know this is what was happening. But I'm a cyclist, as you guys probably know, but our listeners may not know. But I, I, I ride two or three times a week and I ride with a group. And the club rides are, you know, they're pretty good. But the, the, the problem with a club ride is that you kind of go out for a ride. You don't know what's going to happen when you, you know where you're going, how long it's going to take. But it, the club rides pretty much take you to a particular level of skill and stamina and speed. And then they don't take you any further. So you... You get as good as everyone else, but you don't get any better. This is so you kind of hit a plateau, in other words, and the plateau is the average of the club and everyone rides together. So you're going at the same speed every week. But recently, about three months ago, I I came across Zwift, and Zwift is a, a online game technology. They call it an esport, where you hook up your your uh, bicycle to a trainer. The trainer has Bluetooth built in. It, it, it projects your speed onto a onto a, a real race with other people on a screen. So you're you're riding against other people all around the world. Lots of Japanese for some reason, but you're actually riding these races against these other people. You're on your you're, you're physically exerting. You know, you're on your bike. It has resistance. It's picking up your resistance, and it's you're riding in a pack with people from all over the world. So it's interesting, right? But the but the key part is that it teaches you how to train yourself. And for the first time since I've started riding, it gave me an evaluation of my strength as a rider. It's called the Functional Threshold Power, FTP. doesn't mean anything to most people, but it's, a, it's measured in watts. And I had never done anything like this before, and I now know exactly what mine is. And the program helps you to pick races and rides that allow you to improve your strength, stamina, and all the rest of it. Um, because it's particularly, you're, you're now, for the first time ever in my life, I'm now riding according to my FTP or according to my capability. And I'm doing special rides that are designed to boost my capability, boost my FTP. And I'm getting into this. I've gotten into for the last three months or so, I've gotten into this virtuous cycle of riding, improving, measuring, riding, improving, measuring, all of it happening in real time inside of this app. And so so for what's happening on the road now in my club is a couple of guys saying to me, man, you're like an animal. (laughs) Because Sure enough, it's working. I didn't. This thing didn't even exist. It wasn't even on my radar three months ago. I didn't know of its existence until a friend told me. But my doing it has allowed me to become a better rider in a very short space of time that I never thought was possible. And I'm fitter now than I've ever been. I'm faster than I've ever been. And say all that to say that there's some design element in there, uh, to, to below what Art is saying, the people who write self-help books are trying to design a way for you to get better. But there's something about using software, and this goes back to what, what Augusta has been telling us about, the, the, that the, the, the modern-day apps don't have any nudging or shaping. In other words, they're not using, the designers aren't using the app to help you to be more productive in their design. There's been a loss of direction, a loss of fidelity, a loss of purpose, let's call it that. That, for example, is built into this game that I'm playing. This game that I'm playing is all about getting better, whereas a smartphone is not about making you better. It's just about maybe making you more entertained. So I think there's a design element that 
if you know something about a subject, you've got to take that, take that knowledge and then translate it into compelling software so that the person who's using it can get better faster. I think that's the missing element to the self-help books is that they don't have software. And software is extremely powerful in helping people to accomplish their objectives. Oh, what do you guys think? And we're going to leave it there and continue uh, this really interesting conversation that we're having about developing our personal productivity systems from the ground up. And we'll continue this conversation in the following cast. So I want to thank you gentlemen for joining me here on this cast. And just a couple of announcements before we close out. First and foremost, if you have a question or comment about this cast or something that we discussed, if you're listening from anywhere other than the podcast website, we invite you to jump over to that episode. So go to productivitycast.net and forward slash the you, uh, the episode number is the URL. So uh, if it's productivitycast.net forward slash 001, uh, you would go to that episode, the three-digit uh, number. And there at the bottom of the page, you can leave a comment or a question. One of us will be glad to respond. They're also on productivitycast.net. On the, on the episode page, you'll find show notes with links to anything we've discussed. So it's easy to jump to. There's a transcript available on the page, as well as a PDF download of that. And you can learn how to follow any of us or all of us, and also subscribe to the uh, to the podcast if you're not already a subscriber. There's a subscribe page, and it'll take you to your favorite podcast app and uh, lead you uh, to be able to subscribe to us there. If you have another question about personal productivity not related to this topic, perhaps one that you'd like us to discuss on a future episode, please feel free to visit productivitycast.net forward slash contact. You can leave a written message or you can record an audio message for us there on the page from your web browser. Very cool. Also, if you can, please leave a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whichever podcast app you use that allows you to be able to leave a review. This helps us grow our personal and productivity listening community. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your reviews. And we're really glad to have you a part of our personal productivity community. Finally, thanks to Augusto, Francis, and Art for joining me here on this cast. Here's to your productive life. Take care, everybody. That's it for this Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity with your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks.